thank you for listening to Calvary Aurora's weekly Bible study. We pray as you study through God's Word that you're blessed by God's abounding grace. Then would you take out your Bible, and I need you to turn to two places. First, would you go to Isaiah chapter 30. Isaiah chapter 30, and put a bookmark there. We're going to end up there, but we're going to begin in Philippians chapter 4. So Isaiah 30, bookmark that, and then get to Philippians chapter 4. And I'm going to share a message with you this morning that is profoundly simple, but simply profound. It's a message that I want to share with you that's not based on some theological understanding that I have learned, but on something that God has taken me through personally and that's radically changed my life, and I believe it will radically change your life individually. And also I believe that it will radically change this church congregationally. And so I want to look to Philippians chapter 4, and if you're able, would you stand for the reading of God's Word, giving honor and respect to God's Word. Would you stand to your feet if you're able to? And follow along as I read from Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. It says this, Rejoice in the Lord sometimes. Oh, always. Not sometimes, not half the time, not once in a while, but always. Again, I will say rejoice. Just in case once wasn't enough, you get it twice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Verse 6 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I want to share a message with you that's going to be amazing for us to apply to our lives. It's a message that I'm calling Cares to Prayers. So before you sit down, I need you to turn to at least three people and tell them, don't worry, be happy. And if you're feeling happy today, tell them with a Jamaican accent, don't worry, be happy. And then you may have a seat. And let's pray and ask God to bless this time that we have to study His Word. Father, thank You so much for this moment in time that You've ordained that we can be together. Lord, we thank You so much that we have this church that we can come to and receive Your Word. And so, Lord, we pray now that You would open up our eyes that we may see You on the pages of Your Word. That they may come alive to us as Your Word is alive and sharper than a two-edged sword. Lord, open up our ears that we may hear the still and quiet voice that the Spirit want to speak to us. And Lord, open up our hearts that the seed of your word would take root and grow and bear much fruit in our lives. And Lord, I pray for those that perhaps aren't walking right with you today or don't know you personally and don't have a relationship with you, that today would be the day that they come to know you. Lord, we thank you so much for all the wonderful people in this room right now. And Lord, that we have, Lord, this church that we can gather in. And we pray, Father, that you would speak now, for your church is here to hear what you would want to say. 
So mold us and shape us to be the men and women that you would call us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you realize that we can spend every season of our lives worrying, stressing, being anxious over the next season? In other words, we can go throughout our entire lives wondering, concerned, worried about what's going to happen next. What's going to come around the next corner? What's going to be the next venture? And wondering and worrying about what's going to happen next. And that's illustrated even in this building right now. Because in this building, every age group is represented. Every season of life is represented. You have kids that are in junior high. You have boys that are wondering, what's high school going to be like? And will my voice change by the time I go to high school? And they're waiting for their voice to change. I'm still waiting for my voice to change. <laughs> then they get into high school and and they're worried now about where am I going to go to college? Anybody ever have that worry? Where, where am I going to go to college? What college am I going to go to? And then you go to college. And now you're worried if I'm going to be able to get a job when I graduate. Am I going to be able to find a job? Am I going to be able to pay off the $240 million worth of debt that I've accumulated over these four years? And worries. And then you graduate, you have a degree, you get a job, but you're still single. And you're wondering, will I ever be able to find someone that's going to love me? I mean, I have a job, I have a degree, I'm basically God's gift to women. Why am I still single? That's why. And you're wondering, am I going to be able to find somebody that, you know, does, does, I, I, maybe you've even found, if you're single, maybe you've gotten to this point, you're like, does Christian and good looking even go together? Well, obviously it does. And then you get married and you're happy and, and, and some time goes on and, and you're wondering now that you're finding some difficulties in your marriage, am I going to be able to stay married and worried about that? Is my li- wife going to leave me? She's so amazing. If she ever leaves me, I'm going to go with her. <laughs> and then you, more years go on, you've been working for 40 years and now you're worried, am I going to be able to retire Am I going to be able to pay the house off on time? Am I going to be able to, 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 you know, be financially stable enough to be able to retire? And then after you retire, you're worried about the rest of your life. Am I going to be able to live that much longer? And you're worried about your departure date before you go to heaven. And, and now we spend every season of our lives worrying about what's going to happen next. The question for you today is, what do you do when you go through those seasons that bring about difficulties and bring about struggles and issues? What do you do when, when you've been given a pink slip? And I'm not talking about to a new car. I'm talking about your notice of termination from the Terminator. Not Arnold Schwarzenegger, our ex-governor, rest in peace. Not him, but the Terminator, your boss, when he terminates you and says, we no longer have need for you. What do you do? What do you do when, when jobs are scarce and you move to Colorado? That's what you do. What do you do when, when that person that you've been dating for a while that you, know, you thought was the one? You, you knew her for three days and you knew she was the one. And now she says, you're not the one for me. 
What do you do? What do you do when, when life brings its difficulties and struggles? What do you do? Here's what we naturally do. We panic. We worry. What's going to happen now? But listen, as a Christian, we have a choice to make. A choice that God would have us to make. Instead of panicking, we ought to be praying. Instead of worrying, we need to be worshiping. That's the choice that we need to make. Naturally, we worry, we panic. But biblically, Paul the Apostle, inspired by the Spirit, says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, to be anxious for nothing. The word anxious is translated worry, stress, or careful. But not like the careful, like be careful. It literally means to be full of care, that you're so full of care that you're just up to the brim in cares of this world and the cares of the things happening around you. And God would speak to us today from his word and say, listen, here's my word for you. And here's the first point of my sermon today that you're going to want to write down and take with you. Be anxious for nothing. Nothing. Nada. Zilch. Zippo. Nothing. Not anything. Not your job situation. Not your financial struggle. Not your, your marital issues. Not your uh, child that's a prodigal. Not the church problem that you have. Nothing. Don't stress over it. Don't worry about it. Don't be so full of care. Don't, don't bog down. Don't weigh yourself down with that burden. Don't be burdened. But what do we do? The Bible says don't worry about anything. What do we do? We worry about everything. Everything. We do, don't we? We did. We did it with the swine flu. How many of you with a show of hands remember the swine flu? I'll never forget NBC Dateline. I was, I was walking through the mall and on the TV it said, the swine flu coming in your direction. I was like, how do they know where I'm at, first of all? <laughs> but if they can get you to worry, they can get you to wonder and watch. And so they try to get you to worry. And so I was watching this. It caught my attention. So I'm watching it. It says, here's the symptoms. If, so you know if you're going to turn into a pig, here's the symptoms. First symptom is the fever feeling. And all of a sudden, it started getting hot in here. I'm like, is it warm? And, and then they said the second symptom is loss of memory. And all of a sudden, I couldn't remember what the first one was. <laughs> oh, no. I have the swine flu. I got it. And next thing you know, we're, we're laying in bed. You're thinking to yourself, I have the swine flu. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. It's probably going to be my last day. Probably going to be my last day. My wife, she'll probably remarry and be happy. Probably that one guy. Yeah. Never liked him anyways. And God comes and taps us on the shoulder and says, what are you doing? Nothing, nothing, God. I was just having a little conversation with myself. No, you were worrying. Why are you worrying about something? We worry about everything. But the Bible says don't worry. Why? Because what we worry about is nothing. Oftentimes what we worry about, it, it does nothing. And what we worry about is nothing. Let me, let me explain to you this way. Jesus taught in Matthew Chapter 6, verse 27. Which of you, by worrying, can add a single cubic 
to his stature or an hour to his life. Jesus said, when you worry, it doesn't do anything. That's why we're not to worry because worrying does nothing. Worrying is like a rocking chair. It gives us something to do, but it doesn't get us anywhere. And so don't worry about anything. Not only don't worry about anything, because what we worry about, uh, also what we worry about is nothing. So don't worry about anything, and also what we worry about is nothing. Let me explain what I mean by that. 92% scientists say of the things that we worry about never come to pass. They never happen. And we worry about them like we did with the swine flu. But did we learn our lesson? No, we did it with Y2K. How many of you remember the Y2K? Now, if you're younger or you just were stubborn and didn't want to raise your hands, here's what the Y2K is. The computers didn't know how to change the clocks from 1999 to 2000, so the world was going to end. What did we do? Well, I'll tell you what we did. We had about six years' supply of water and chili in our garage. What happened? Well, what I did, I thought it would be funny. I was like 12 years old at the time. I ran outside, and right when everybody's doing the countdown, nine, eight, seven, right when they hit one, I hit the main switch breakers on our house and turned the power off. <laughs> I went running into the house screaming, Y2K, Y2K. Nothing happened, but everybody was worried about it. What's going to happen? Did we learn our lesson? No, we did it again with the Mayan calendar. The world's going to end. They only calculated until 2012. No, they didn't have a big enough rock to keep going. <laughs> did we learn our lesson? No, we did it again. Or at least we did in California when the tsunami hit Japan, broke the, the uh, nuclear power plant, and sent a radioactive cloud heading towards Southern California. You guys probably weren't so concerned about that. We're like, we're in Colorado. We're good. You know, anything bad actually that happens in California is really a plus for Colorado. It's like when people talk about an earthquake, you know, severing the state of California and California is going to fall into the Pacific. Colorado's like, sweet, man, ocean view rooms. <laughs> but in California, there's a lot of people really, really worried about this radioactive cloud that was coming our way. So, so what did people do? Well, what someone did that really loved me, <clears throat> my mom, <laughs> she, uh, she gave me some kelp capsules because kelp is supposed to help your body defend radioactive material. So here I am pounding kelp like there's no tomorrow. What happens? The radioactive cloud never gets there. I'm glowing green from how much kelp I was taking, not even from the radioactive material. Listen, 92% of the things that we worry about in life never end up happening. So God would say to us today, worry about nothing. Because worrying doesn't change anything. Worrying does nothing. And what we worry about is nothing. But you might say, how? How do I stop worrying? I, I, I don't want to be a worry wart, but I kind of am. I'm one that's really concerned, concerned about things. I don't worry. I'm concerned. That's like a Christian saying, I don't gossip. I just tell other people's prayer requests to everybody. <laughs> I'm concerned. No, you're worrying. How do I not be bogged down, burdened down with these worries. How, how do I not do that? Well, the answer is in the verse as it continues to read. It says to be anxious for nothing, but in everything. Church, say everything. everything. By prayer and supplication. 
Number two, you worry about no thing and you pray about everything. Worry about nothing, number one, and pray about everything. It says by prayer and supplication. Now, the word prayer here means adoration or praise. It's talking about giving God praise. You mean the things that I'm normally worried about, I should just start praising God for them? Exactly. Knowing that God is in control and He knows what's best for your life. And then the other word with prayer and supplication, that word supplication means intercession or petition. It's speaking of a specific thing that is heavy on your heart. That, that thing that is coming to your mind even right now as we speak that you're wishing that I wasn't reminding you of. That thing, to give it to God in prayer. Whether it's interceding on behalf of somebody else or petitioning God for that specific thing in your own life. To come to God with praise and prayer. Instead of worrying, we are told to take our cares and turn them into prayers. To take our problems and turn them into praise. To take our worries and turn them into worship. You see, oftentimes we can get so burdened down with the cares of this world. And the burdens that we have and that we carry often, that we pick up, Oftentimes what we do is we lay them on somebody else. Why? Because it makes us feel a lot better. And what I had been doing in my own life, in ministry, that as our church was progressing, there was, there was an ongoing issue that was burdening me. It was a burden in the church that I was carrying. And what I was doing is I would go home with some frustration and, and just anger and just upset. And I would go home and I would just unload it on my wife. And it made me feel so much better. But what I was doing is I was destroying my wife. Because it's not a burden that she was meant to carry, nor is it a burden that I was meant to carry. That's why God inspired Peter to write in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, to cast all your cares. That word cares means anxiety, worry, stress, same word, to cast all your cares on Him, God, for He cares for you. You see, the burdens that we carry in life aren't meant for us to carry. Our lives weren't created to carry those burdens. We're not strong enough. God is the only one who has a back strong enough to carry the burdens of the world. And so we are told to give it to Him. I was on the East Coast at a pastor's conference that your pastor, Pastor Ed Taylor, was also at. And I was sharing with him some things that I was going through. You see, when your pastor goes to things like pastor's conferences, he doesn't only go to get poured into and to speak at, to to be poured into by the Spirit. And so he can come back with fresh vision and inspiration to lead you guys that much better. But he also goes to pour into young guys like me. And I was talking with him about this situation in my life. And then he shared with me, he said, listen, you need to go to God first. I knew that intellectually. But it took someone that's a close friend of mine in ministry to look at the situation from the outside and say, hey, this is what's happening in your life. 
And you need to go to God first so that when you go to God and you give him that burden, you still need to talk to your wife, your spouse. You still need to have that correspondence of what's going on in your relationship. But you need to first go to God with it so that it's dealt with, so that you give it to God, you know that that burden's there, so that when you discuss it with your wife or your husband or whoever it is that you're talking to about it, you're not coming to unload on them, but to come, you've already had the anxiety, the stress dealt with, and now you're able just to share what's happening without being worried or stressed or being careful about it. And do you know that when we do that, when we go to God first and we share with those about what's happening in our lives and it's not in a way that burdens us down or bogs them down, but when they see it doesn't affect us, that's when they see Christ most in our lives. You see, Paul in the book of Acts was on an island and he was smitten by a serpent. And the natives to that island, those that were from that island, knew the venom from the viper. They knew that it would kill Paul. They were watching and waiting for him to swell up like an Oompa Loompa, turn blue and die. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire. And they watched and they waited. But when they saw that he wasn't affected by it, then... He had a greater ministry, and they were willing to listen to what he had to say to them. And God opened the door for him to be able to be a witness to them, and they believed. And so, too, in our lives, God will take us through things where we are smitten by the serpent. Satan will attack us, and we'll go through things that are just attacks of the enemy. But when the world sees that we shook it off, And we gave it to God, we laid it at his feet, and it's not affecting us like it should or like it used to. When we're not worried about it, when we're not stressed about it, hey, you just lost your job, what are you going to do? I don't know. You seem so at peace, man. How are you doing this? I heard you're having some hard financial issues. What's going on? The Lord's going to take care of it. I'm working working so hard. I'm working, I'm taking a second job, but I know God's going to take care of it. I'm not worried about it. How? When you let the Lord deal with it and then people see how it doesn't affect you, the same things that they're going through, they will see Jesus in you. And we will have an opportunity to be a witness of Jesus, to be Christians, to be little Christ, to be examples of Christ. So we need to be those that aren't worrying about anything. We need to be those that aren't stressing out. So number one, be anxious for nothing. Two, pray about everything. And number three, be thankful for anything. It goes on to say in verse six, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. When the attack comes onto your mind or in your heart, when your heart is heavy, your mind is trying to figure it out, God says he will give you a peace that surpasses all understanding. It's a peace from not knowing how it's going to work out. It's a a peace in spite of how it's going to work out. Why? Because you're being thankful for anything. Thankful for anything. How can you be thankful for anything Well, do you know that what you would want for you or what you want for you is what God wants for you? 
In other words, let me put it to you this way. What God has for you is what you would want for you if you only knew the outcome. You think, oh, I need this. I got to have this. I don't know if I want what God wants for me. I kind of want what I want for me. But you would want for you what God has for you if you knew the outcome. You see, Jesus gave his life for you. And you can be certain if Christ loves me enough to give his life for me, then he's going to do what's very best for me in every single situation. So I don't have to worry. And I can have that peace that surpasses all understanding, even when I don't see how it's going to happen. I don't see how this is going to be good. I don't see how this is going to be beneficial to my family or I. I don't see it. But faith isn't seeing it. Faith is believing without seeing. We don't walk by sight. We walk by faith as Christians. And we ought to have faith in God saying, even when I don't see it, I'm going to believe it. That all things are working together for the good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. So God, I believe it's going to be great even though I don't see it. And although I don't understand it, I have a peace from God that surpasses all understanding. So God, I can say thank you and I can praise you and I can pray instead of worrying, instead of panicking, because I can give it to God. And so what do we do? We worry about no thing. We pray about everything, and we are thankful for anything. And when we do, watch what happens. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 30, and we'll conclude here today. Isaiah chapter 30, and to build that backdrop for you, to give you some context to the verse that we'll be reading. Hezekiah, the king of Jerusalem, found out and got news that the Assyrians were invading. They were heading in that direction to take over and conquer that territory. And Hezekiah begins to panic, begins to worry, because he knew about the Assyrians. You see, the Assyrians... They were thought to be unbeatable in battle. They were thought to be unbeatable in battle because they had several war machines that they had invented, including that battering ram. They invented that. Not only that, they developed the sieging strategy to its apex, where they would cut off the water and food supply and starve you out of the city. So you couldn't win with them. If your walls were strong, they would starve you out. If they weren't, they would break your walls down. So they were thought to be unbeatable in battle. But not only that, they were thought to be unparalleled in brutality. For you see, the Assyrians were brutal people. To make a statement when they conquered land, well, historians say that the Assyrians would take spears with 10 foot long poles and impale men through their backsides up through their heads and stick the spear poles in the ground surrounding the city all the way around just a few feet away making a wall out of people being impaled so that if anybody came across that fortress that land they would think twice about inhabiting it hey we don't want to come against the Assyrians if they didn't do that they would behead hundreds of thousands of people and they would stack giant pyramids of heads outside the city gates as a warning, as a remember to people. And if you were lucky enough to stay alive, the Assyrians, if they took you captive, they would drive hooks through your nose and tie it to a chain. And a horse would pull captives by their nose with the hooks pulling them by their noses off to captivity. 
So now King Hezekiah hears that the Assyrians are coming to my land, to my people. And he begins to panic. He begins to worry what's going to happen to us. What's the outcome going to be? We can't beat them. How how are we going to do this? It's going to be brutal. And not only were the Assyrians coming, but they were being led by their very king, a man named Sennacherib. If you can't remember his name, just think of Snickers and Ribs. (laughs) Sennacherib. And Sennacherib's coming, not only the king of the Assyrians, but his head general, Rebshekah. They're coming. And so he begins to panic. So what he does is he goes into the temple, the place of worship, and he takes all the gold that was given to God as a gift of worship, as your tithes are when you give to God, it's a form of worship. And when, you, when they would give to God, he took all of those things and he went and he, he sent it to the king as tribute money to bribe him, to pay him off, saying, hey, we've given you our gold, just take it and go. But his strategy to fix the problem backfired on him, as it often does when we try to fix our problems. You see, we'll go through things and we try to fix it. And oftentimes God puts us in a fix to fix us. And when we try to fix the fix that God put us in to fix us, God has to put us in another fix. Try saying that three times fast. And so he tries to fix the problem. And he takes from what was rightfully God's and he sends that to King Sennacherib. And King Sennacherib sees all this gold and says, wow, look at this vast fortune. Look at this wealth. (laughs) There must be more where that came from. And so he says, we got to get to Jerusalem. And so instead of just going to that general vicinity in that territory, they beeline it straight to Jerusalem. So his plan backfired on him. So, so now he's even panicking more. So now he turns to Egypt. And Egypt in the Bible, in typology, is a type of, church, you know, the world. The world. It's a representation of the world. And so now, now the king of Jerusalem, King Hezekiah, he turns to the world, to, to Egypt for help because they have chariots. They have military strategies. They have ways to fix things like this. And he turns to them to get help. And at that very moment, Isaiah, a prophet of God, comes to King Hezekiah with this prophecy. And he says to him in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 1, Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord, who take counsel, but not of me, and who devise plans, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, who walk to go down to Egypt, And have not asked my advice to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. God says, you're trying to take counsel, but you're not turning to me for counsel. You're trying to get a plan to fix this problem. How are we going to fix this issue that I'm worried about? And so you develop a plan, but that plan's not from my spirit. And so what you're doing is you're adding sin to sin. It's just making things worse. And now you're going to Egypt, the world, for help? And so then Isaiah goes on to say in verse 15, Thus says the Lord, in returning, that is to God, and in rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. God says that if you would return to me, 
God would say. And in rest, not striving, not trying to make it happen, not trying to fix the problem, but just resting of where I have you now. And come to me. Then God says, you will be saved. The inclination that we all have when things are difficult is to turn to people. This organization, this financial institution, that group, that pastor for counsel, whatever it may be. And although those things can be right at times, have you gone to God first? We say, help me to this counselor, we cry. Help me to this organization, we ask. And we go to anyone but God. Listen, God ought not to be our last resort, but our first and greatest option. We ought to go to God first. Because when we do, he promises this. Isaiah says in verse 21, Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. In other words, God says, I will guide you. I will be faithful to complete the work that I've started in you. I will get you to where you need to be. But God would say, first and foremost, come to me. Come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And that rest in coming to God will be what will save you and set you free. The Lord would say, you need to return to me. Stop trying to figure it out. Stop trying to solve the issue. Just come to me and I will give you what you need. So be anxious for nothing. Pray about everything and be thankful for anything. And when you do, watch what happens. Isaiah says to Hezekiah, seek the Lord. And so the troops of Sennacherib and Rabshakeh, they're there marching towards Jerusalem but they get word from a messenger that there's a war breaking out on another part of their territory and they need reinforcements. And so they have to redirect and leave and depart completely. But Sennacherib, before he leaves, he writes a letter to King Hezekiah. He was a Arnold Schwarzenegger fan because he basically wrote, I'll be back. And he said, I'm coming, and when I do, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to kill all your people, and I'm going to tear the temple down, I'm going to destroy everything. And so, King Hezekiah gets this piece of paper, and he could have panicked, he could have worried, but instead of doing what he did previously and worrying and panicking, it says in 2 Kings chapter 19 that Hezekiah, he goes into the temple, that is the place of worship, And he takes that paper, that scroll, and he lifts it up before the Lord. And he lifts it to the Lord and says, Lord, you see this. You know what's going to happen. But Lord, I give it to you. I'm not going to panic about it. I'm going to pray about it. And he begins to pray. And he begins, then he lays it down at the Lord's feet. And he begins to worship with hands raised high. Praise and prayer. And at that very moment, Isaiah comes back in. And 2 Kings chapter 19 tells us that Isaiah comes in and says, you sought the Lord and you did what was right. And so when they come back and besiege the city, not one person will be harmed. Now that's 
an impossible prophecy because in battle, hand-to-hand combat, someone's bound to get harmed. And even if they don't go to war with somebody, just having the invasions, people running around, I mean, someone probably stubbed their toe, you know, carrying something. Someone's going to get hurt on something. But Isaiah says not one person will be harmed. Well, now King Rebshekah, or excuse me, King Sennacherib with his general Rebshekah, they come back. And this time they bring 185,000 men as far as the eye can see over the territory, there's men. And they encamp around Jerusalem. They surround the city. They besiege the city. But King Hezekiah, not worried, but praying, not worried, but worshiping, they go to bed that night. And God sends an angel that night, just one One little angel and defeats the entire army of the Assyrians and destroys them all completely and wipes out 185,000 of the enemy. What What the enemy came to do when turning to God, when the serpent strikes, when the enemy strikes and you shake it off, God intervenes supernaturally and God works miraculously. And so the people that day, they saw the hand of the Lord delivered. And God will do the same thing for us in our lives too. You see, we can get so caught up with the paper that was given to us. Whether it's a bill and electricity is going to be turned off or house will be foreclosed or car will be repossessed or maybe it's a medical diagnosis, a letter from the doctor that says the diagnosis is positive. Or, or maybe for you it's a marriage that's failing and you've just been served a, a letter of divorce. Maybe it's a pink slip letting you go from your current place of occupation. Maybe it's something else and you have that worry You have that that was just given to you. What do you do with that? You have a choice to panic or pray, worry or worship. But if you do like King Hezekiah did and take that into the place of worship, like you came today with your worries, with those stresses, with those things that cause anxiety, and you come in and you lift it up to the Lord and say, Lord, you see this need, you see this issue. I'm giving this to you. I'm laying this burden at your feet. I recognize this burden isn't meant for me to carry. God, you want me to give it to you. And that you worship and you thank God. I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know what's going to happen. But God, I know you're going to do what's best for me. So I'm going to praise you anyway. And when you do, you will see God do what we could never do. No strategy, no effort, no energy no know-how, no knowledge, whatever it is that you would look to for help from that thing of the world or that person, God could do what we never could do. Church, today I came to tell you that God is in and on the throne. And when things look out of control, you need to know that God is in control. And all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purposes. And so when I am stressed, when I am bogged down, all I need to do is be anxious for, pray about, and be thankful for, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.
And Lord, today, we come before you. Father, acknowledging that we've been living in disobedience because we've been holding on to things that we aren't meant to hold on to. Would you help us this day to relinquish and to let go and give it to you? God, this day we choose to lift these cares up to you and to lay our lives in your hands. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, out of the respect for people around this room, I wonder today if there's some here that would say, you know what, I haven't laid my life in God's hand. I haven't given God my life. You need to know today that Jesus loves you, that he gave his life for you and died on a cross, and he paid the price for your sin and paid the penalty so that you wouldn't have to, so that you could receive the free gift of everlasting life and salvation, so that you could be restored into a right relationship with God and that you could have the absolute assurance knowing that you are going to heaven and spending eternity with God. And God wants to give you this free gift. And if there's some here today that haven't placed their lives in God's hands, haven't opened their heart to Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity right now to do so. You might say, well, how do I do that? I want to lead you in a very simple prayer of giving your life to Jesus. If you're here today and you would say, you know what, I want to put my life in Christ's hands. I realize I can't fix myself. I can't fix these issues. I can't fix this sin. I can't get over it. I can't get past it. What you could never do is what Jesus can. He specializes in the impossible. I want to give you an opportunity now to give your life to Jesus Christ. And so if you're here today and would say, you know what, I want to get right with Christ today. I want, to, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want you right now, wherever you're at, on the count of three, to raise up your hand. One, Jesus loves you. Two, he died for you. And three, he wants to forgive you. Raise up your hand right now, wherever you're at. Just raise up your hand. There's hands all over the sanctuary right now. Raise up your hand. If you're one that wants to give your life to Jesus Christ today. If you're raising your hand right now, I'm going to ask for you to do something. I'm going to ask for you in just a moment to stand to your feet. You might say, well, why do I have to stand? Jesus put it this way. If you confess me before man, I will confess you before my father. But if you deny me before man, I will deny you before my father. Whenever Jesus calls us into relationship, he calls us publicly that we would make a public stand for him. So I want to give you an opportunity to stand around people that have stood before you and that will applaud you and encourage you in this best decision you've ever made in your life. So right now, if you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you right now to stand to your feet wherever you're at. If you raise your hand, stand now. Stand now. And we'll wait for you. Stand now. Stand now. We'll wait. There's more. Just stand. And for those that are standing right now, and even if you didn't raise your hand, you want to stand right now, just stand now. I want to lead you in this prayer of giving your life to Jesus Christ. I want you to repeat this prayer out loud after me, and the church is going to say this out loud to surround you in this prayer. Say this, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins and fill me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. Take my life. I will walk with you all the days of my life. Thank you for loving me. I love you. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Awesome. Best decision of your life. And let me tell you that literally, of your life. And we have some men and women that will be up front after service that want to give you a, a Bible if you don't own a Bible. They want to give you some materials that Pastor Ed has assembled that he believes will help strengthen you in this new walk, this new relationship with the Lord. It's a journey through life that the Bible calls a walk with God. And as you begin this walk with God, we want to give you some things that will strengthen you. But before you go your way today, I'm going to do one more thing. I'm going to ask for you to take out this piece of paper that you received on the way in. At the doors and all the doors was passed out. If you have this piece of paper, take it out. If you have a bulletin, it might be in your bulletin as well. And if you have a pen, you want to take a pen out as well. And what I want you to do right now is that one thing that I was talking about, maybe it's multiple things, but that thing that's causing you anxiety, the thing that's causing you to worry, to to stress, the thing that's causing you to be burdened in a situation in your life, today we're going to have an opportunity to give it to God and to leave it at his feet. Like Hezekiah did, he went into the place of worship just as you have come into the place of worship today. And we're going to have an opportunity to stand to our feet and to lift it before the Lord, giving it to God and leaving it at the Lord's feet. And then we'll watch how the Lord will supernaturally intervene and do what we never could do. So I want you right now to write. If you don't have a pen, I want you just to think about that thing and visualize that on this card. I'm going to ask for you now to stand to your feet. I want you to take this card. I want you just to lift it up before the Lord as King Hezekiah did. Just hold up your hand. Hold up the card. If you don't have a card, just raise up your hands. As we hold this before the Lord, we're going to give this to God now. And Father, you see our hands raised. And Lord, you know every care, every worry. Lord, we don't want to live our lives carrying these burdens, but we want to give them to you. We want to do as King Hezekiah did. We want to go into the place of worship and lay it down at your feet and give to you what we were never meant to carry. And so, Lord, we pray now that you would supernaturally intervene, do what we never could do. Lord, meet each person where they're at. Lord, that burden, maybe it's, it's a burden, Lord, for their children who are prodigals. Maybe it's a burden, Lord, that, that they've been carrying, Lord, for a financial issue or, or a stress or whatever it may be, Lord. You know every single situation, Lord, and we give it to you now. And we lay it at your feet. And so, Lord, would you take control as we take our hands off now and we lay it at your feet, Lord, we pray that you would take your hands and put it on. And do what we can't do. And Lord, we just give it to you and we can praise you, Lord, knowing what you're going to do is what we would want you to do if we only knew the outcome. So we give it to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Now just crumple it up. Just crumple it up before the Lord. Amen. The burdens that we carry, when we take our hands off, We allow the Lord to put his hands on. Oftentimes we live our lives holding on to it. I got to take care of this. I got to do this. I got to do this. We're holding on so tightly to to the future of our lives and the path that we want to live. And and my my future, which direction am I going to go, God? Which direction am I going to go? And we want to be the captain of our ship, the author of our destiny. We want to take the steering wheel in our hands. Listen, we need to sing more Carrie Underwood. Jesus, take the wheel. 
And when we take our hands off, we allow the Lord to place his hands on to lead and to direct like he promises to do. So today we're not only going to pray as we have and lift up our intercessions and our petitions to the Lord. But now we're going to praise, even though we don't see it, we believe it, that God is working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. So let's lift our hands now and worship as Hezekiah did in the place of worship and lift our voices to the Lord, for he is worthy of our praise. In Jesus' name, God bless you guys. We pray that you've been touched by this study from Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call area code 303-628-7200. Be blessed this week in the Lord.